Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Well, it is the time where we think about spirituality. The truth is we should think about spirituality and meaning and all of these wonderful things all the time, not only on Thursday afternoons. Well, I guess Thursday afternoons are peak season, peak time for this kind of conversation. So in that case, let's have it. Welcome aboard. If you are new to the system, it's Rabbi Shishla. We're talking spirituality as it applies in our lives. Very specific question I'm going to ask you today to hear your views on it. And the way you share those views is either on social media at Rabbi Shish or at Chai FM on either Facebook or Twitter. Otherwise, you could always use the Telegram app, which is great for longer messages, 0618951019. And you could send an SMS on 34519. Those are the ways in which you could connect be part of the conversation. And what a conversation <laughs> I think it's going to be. Just uh, because I had this conversation with a group of people last night and it was fascinating. So therefore, we're going to continue that conversation over here today. Maybe I'll share some of the insights that people mentioned last night and see what you come up with over here in our conversation. So here's the question. The question is, let's say that there are people who are not committed to the Judaism, for whatever reason, this is not a judgment, it's just an objective statement. So if there are people who are not engaged with their Judaism, and we'd like them to participate, we'd like them to attend Torah classes, we'd like them to go to a shiur, as we say here in Joburg. So how do you get them through the door? You know, there are a lot of people out there who are ready, they're interested, they're inspired, they're connected, they're observant. Not so difficult to get them to attend, to participate, and to learn. But then there are people who are possibly apathetic or disaffected or it just doesn't speak to them. It's not a priority in their lives. So we want to get them through the door. Okay? So let's assume we want to get a whole group of Jewish people who are not engaged in their Judaism or engaged in Jewish practice. And we'd like them to join us and to study Torah together with us. So here's a proposal. It's not my proposal. It's something that certain people perhaps do or don't do. And I'd like to hear what you think about it. So what do you think about the idea of paying people who ordinarily would not study Torah? And you offer them, listen, if you come, we'll pay you a stipend, maybe even a salary. I mean, I'd love to find the organization that has that kind of budget. But we'll pay you something if you attend, if you participate, and if you study. So my question is not just simply yay or nay. It's a little bit more than that. Do you think that's a brilliant idea? Brilliant. We need people to participate. And if it takes a little bit of a lure, so be it. We'll cast out that lure and hopefully bring people through the door. Or does it make you feel uncomfortable? Hang on a second. It isn't one of the things the Torah says we should not do bribery and is not the offer of financial reward for a particular behavior is that not bribery so what about that what about the fact that that judaism speaks very strongly against bribery so there's another possible take on this or maybe you're just more skeptical and say look if your objective is to get people through the door well then perhaps the end justifies the means but if your objective is 
that you want to get people to have a meaningful commitment and meaningful growth, then surely buying that growth is antithetical. Surely. Surely the idea is not just to buy people to learn Torah. Surely you want to motivate people to learn Torah. So there are many factors and facets, I'm sure, to this conversation, perhaps even including your own experience. Maybe you have participated at some point along the way in an, in a, either a program or an organization or whatever. That you, perhaps you've done it. Perhaps you've said, listen, I'm going to go study for X amount of months or weeks, as the case may be. And I was paid for it and it was fine and we survived and we're okay. And, and it wasn't a bad thing at all. And maybe even it turned your life around. It was a watership moment. And perhaps that's what got you to become who you are today or how committed you are to your Judaism today. So this is not a judgment call. It's purely an analysis. Very intrigued to hear how people relate to the idea of paying somebody who is not predisposed to Torah learning and using that as the lure, using that as the bait to get them through the door and to allow them the opportunity to learn Torah. And perhaps we'll add layers to this conversation as we go through it, depending on, on the degree of feedback. So we may, I may add some other layers or some other perspectives on this because I'm sure there'll be those people who say, well, maybe not to pay people, but perhaps there are other ways that you could attract people with other, I don't want to use the word bribery because it is a very heavy word, but with other attractions, let's put it that way. And perhaps if you use those other attractions, that will get people through the door. Okay? So maybe not everybody's comfortable with payment, but maybe people are comfortable with other things. <laughs> and I suppose you'll get somebody who'll say, yes, why don't you just attract people with the, the promise of a position in the world to come? Because perhaps that's also a form of, again, not bribery, but perhaps just trying to lure people in. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The morality or otherwise of enticing people to some level of Jewish practice, although I, I said it about learning Torah, the truth is it would be about any Jewish practice. What if somebody paid you? Let's say that there was a kid who had his bar mitzvah, and now he's he's done. He, he did his thing. He got up. He sang his portion. Everybody applauded. He got a lot of mazel tovs and a few presents. And now that's done. Thank you very much. Been there, done that, and he does not intend necessarily to return to shul anytime soon, possibly not till his wedding, except with a smattering of Yom Kippur's along the way. Or he was presented with a spanking new pair of tefillin on his bar mitzvah. He doesn't really have any intention to wear those tefillin. And somebody comes up and says, listen, I'll make a deal with you. Here's the deal, kiddo. You put on your tefillin every single weekday, and I'll give you... Ten bucks for each day that you do it. Okay, so you're going to get a couple hundred bucks at the end of the year. Similar kind of question, right? Similar kind of question. Is that happy? Is that appropriate? Is it aligned? Is it how we should behave? Is it perhaps inappropriate? Does it send a wrong message? Does it send a good message? This is worth money. It's so valuable. I'm willing to pay you money for it, which might actually indicate that Wow, okay, somebody obviously thinks this is valuable and perhaps I should explore further. Or does it sound like actually that it's not really valuable, so I've got to pay you for it? <laughs> you can see both sides of the argument, right? The minute you put a price on something, perhaps that relegates it to things that could have a price on them. And if you're talking about an individual's spiritual development and personal growth and relationship with God, does it make sense to put a price tag on it? So I'm pretty certain that there'll be a range of responses 
and a range of attitudes or perspectives on the Siaz Eden on Twitter. It says, if you offer me, I won't refuse. If you offer me a good amount of money, I will join any community you want and praise any rabbi you want. <laughs> so it's interesting how that got suddenly into the conversation about praising people or soliciting praise from people. That's definitely not this conversation. This was simply a conversation about getting people to engage with their Judaism, either to perform a mitzvah, to attend shul. What if you were paid to come to the minion? And by the way, I think that that is not totally uncommon and certainly wasn't uncommon in, in Stettlach or smaller places where they battled to have a minion and there were people who weren't necessarily earning. I don't know if it was that uncommon to have a scenario that somebody would be paid in order to make the minion. So there's an interesting scenario. I said it originally specifically about Torah learning, and there's a reason for that because I think Torah learning is such a transformative experience, and it's something that requires a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of investment. It's not just do it once or even a couple of times. So perhaps that's where the stakes are higher, and you may need more leverage in order to get people to participate, possibly. And you may or may not agree with that. So that's the question we're going to analyze today. Is it acceptable, is it ideal to use some kind of payment as the way to get a person more engaged in their Judaism? So what do you think about that? Let us know, 34519, if you'd like to send an SMS. Telegram line is open on 0618951019. And I see some messages are coming through. You can join them at FM or at Rabashish on either Facebook or Twitter. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Yes, it is. And today talking about, shall we say, meaningful thinking? Talking about the question of using money as a way to bring people through the door. So you're running a program and you want to get people to come and learn Torah or to participate in the, in the minyan at shul or to perform a mitzvah. And in order to do it, you feel that the way is you've got to actually pay people. So what do you think of that? Is that appropriate? Is it inappropriate? Is it insulting? Is it genius? <laughs> well, what do you think? And, of course, it's a Jewish audience, so we're going to anticipate a whole lot of different perspectives and a whole lot of different views. In fact, on exactly that note, I also always have to remember that the Chai FM listenership includes people with a wry sense of humor so, for example, my question is, should we be paying people to come and study Torah? And Jeremy says, well, for a small fee, I'll give you my deep thoughts on the matter, <laughs> which is great. Okay, touche, good. I think it's a, it's a great point. Karen says, try it. Okay, okay, fair enough. I suppose that is always one way to do things, is simply to try it. What do they say? They say that a smart person learns from their mistakes. I think a smart person learns from other people's mistakes. So rather than trying something ourselves, perhaps we could just do a better job of researching what's out there, whether it works, whether it doesn't work. You know, the Torah says that do not accept bribery. And it's interesting, by the way, that subject for another conversation. The Torah doesn't say don't give a bribe. The Torah says do not accept a bribe, which makes sense because obviously if there's no willing recipient, there is no appetite for the willing giver. So it does make sense. But then it goes on to say, Ki That the nature of bribery is such that it infects your mind 
and it blinds the eyes of people who otherwise would have been incredibly wise. That's a, that's a thought right there. That means to say that if there is bribery involved in any kind of transaction or interaction, it's going to dull the senses of people's objectivity. So the person who's normally wise enough to be able to discern what's healthy and what's unhealthy is now no longer able to do that. And I wonder if, if we're going to assume that this is a form of bribery, if perhaps those who are giving that offer, who are willing to pay, I wonder if perhaps they, 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 they land up losing objectivity or, or, and don't know how to assess necessarily if it is or isn't as effective as they believe. So the suggestion, just try it. Don't know. Don't know about that. Um, interesting. Okay. Interesting point. Let's have a look. A few other. Ooh, ooh, ha <laughs> Here's somebody who's uh, opened another can of worms. Maybe we'll leave this for another time. About, because my question was specifically about Torah study, somebody's brought up a sidebar issue. I'm not even going to mention it on the air at this point because there are quite a number of other messages and I don't really want to take us off on a tangent. It might be worth dedicating another separate show just to that particular point that this individual has raised. Here are two people in a row on Twitter who both say it is definitely not meaningful. In other words, if you have to pay somebody to participate in Torah learning, how can that be considered meaningful? That's effectively what I'm reading over here into these what appear to be quite harsh or definite responses. Definite responses. Okay? So, interesting, interesting point. Here's uh, Gary who says, <laughs> there we go, another one with the tongue-in-cheek. says, send me a direct message for my hourly rate. <laughs> That's cute. That's cute. So, uh, for your hourly rate, I'm assuming, if, is that for your hourly rate on your opinion or your hourly rate on coming to learn? <laughs> Gary says, if a person wants to study Torah, then it should be a voluntary thing with no strings attached. Fine. Now, let's talk for a moment. Would you say the same thing? And I, I know I'm mixing my metaphors here, but just to make a point, would you say the same thing if doing your homework is is the right thing? It should be voluntary. We, we all acknowledge that it's not going to be. And, and so will brushing your teeth for a child not necessarily be something which is voluntary. So while I do agree that if a person wants to study Torah, it should be a voluntary thing and there shouldn't be strings attached. I do agree with that. We also have to acknowledge the possibility that there are healthy activities that people are not naturally volunteering to do. How do we have something called vitality points if it should be people's choice to volunteer to be healthy. Well, we, it's because we know that that's not the reality of the human condition. And sometimes what is best for a person is not necessarily what they acknowledge to be best for them. So the person has to be egged on to go to the gym or to eat healthy or to stop smoking. By rights in a perfect world, in an ideal world, yes, they should choose to be healthy. Right. Got it. We don't live in that perfect idyllic world. Ever since Adam and Eve were expelled from Ghanaian, it really has not been a very idyllic place to live. So in our less than idyllic world, people don't do what is healthy just because, and they need incentives. So is Judaism 
different to that? Is it different to that? Okay, here's a philosophical response that Bill has made. I'm going to share it with you, even though I think it does take us a little off track. He says, whatever we offer without God is only temporary. So the person, okay, I guess it's not really off track. The person must open their heart to receive God. This requires that they both believe and trust in God. They understand that whatever they do without God is temporary without meaning. And then he says we do that by example. So if I can simplify effectively what I think Bill is saying is if we're going to offer people money and say that that is the value. So in order to earn that value, come and learn Torah with us. You may be edging God out of the experience, and that's not going to be good, and it cannot be lasting. Okay, It's an interesting point, very interesting observation. So can it actually have a long-term impact if the person was bought, if the person was paid? Okay, interesting, interesting point. So your suggestion, Bill, really is that you should be able to sell Judaism or sell Torah in this particular case on its own merits and you shouldn't have to slap money on the table. Okay, fine, fair comment. Let's see who else. Steve, strong views. Steve says, absolutely not. That's like paying for souls to make up a minion. The music to a soul cannot be bought and paid for. It must come from within and stay within, not be tainted by the ways of the physical world. True spirituality is above the physical realms of money and ego. Now, the thing is this, while I do agree with that in principle, and again, I go back to saying if we lived in an idyllic world, but we don't. I don't think there's anybody who for half a moment would suggest that we need to push children to do what is right because it is right. We all acknowledge that somewhere along the way, we're going to offer incentives, prizes, sweets, we all accept that that is a, a, a way to begin the educational journey. Now, if we're talking over here about people who don't necessarily feel the value of studying Torah, that would be the mature, the, the spiritual equivalent, not the mature, the spiritual equivalent of a child that doesn't yet appreciate why it's an important thing to make your bed, brush your teeth, or not eat 400 chocolates in a sitting. And so, surely in the early stages of a person's progress, it's okay to offer some kind of an incentive. Really interesting insights coming through. So I'd love to hear yours, 34519, if you're going to SMS. Otherwise, a longer message via Telegram, 061-895-1019. And the real conversation right now is happening on Twitter and Facebook at FM at Rabbi Shish. Is your shopping list longer and your time shorter well, Discam Delivered has you covered. From healthcare essentials to baby food, beauty, and toiletries, whatever you need, Discam Delivered has you covered. So download their easy-to-use Discam app, and then you can shop over 7,000 products at in-store prices. They'll be delivered to you within 60 minutes. So you can now relax while Discam delivers your essentials to you. It really is that simple. Discam Delivered from Discam to you. That's Discam Pharmacies. Pharmacists who care. If your business has lined up unbeatable deals for Black Friday, we would love you to tell our listeners all about it. Let's call the Chai FM office on 01014040090. That's 01014040090 before the 17th of November. That's next Thursday. And 
I guess you'll share your Black Friday unbeatable deals. It's 101.9 High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, I didn't even realize Black Friday is still a thing. Maybe COVID kind of blurred that for a period of time. I guess it's back. Let's hope that there are some really good, good deals out there and hope that you get them. If you've just tuned in, this is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Shishler. We're talking today about the question of, is it appropriate to pay people in order to get them to participate in Jewish activity, Jewish practice, Torah study, etc.? Another controversial, I have no issue with controversial comments at all, just that this one's going to take us off on a tangent, but I'm going to mention it anyway, because Benny on Twitter says that paying an irreligious person to study Torah is on a par with paying a religious person to study Torah, and I think that opens a massive conversation, a very fascinating conversation, but definitely opens a massive conversation in its own right. Elisheva says, no, the problem then is that people would only agree to study Torah because they get paid, and then that would become meaningless, and their heart and soul would not be in it. So there's a fear, right? There's a fear that what's going to happen? What if I... <laughs> Somebody says, I'm hoping for a clear, definitive yes or no answer, not it depends. Okay, fair enough. I don't know if we'll get to that in the course of this conversation, but I hear the point. We'd like to walk out with an answer. Anyhow, going back a second just to what Eli Sheva was saying, people are not going to have their heart and soul. If you've had to buy them in the first place, then it indicates that they're not really there. They weren't really present. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Lucas says, I think it's reasonable. Irreligious people have no exposure, and therefore they have no way to become interested. Anything that will get them through the door is worthwhile, but then you have to teach in a way that they connect with, and the burden of creating a meaningful experience is on the teacher. That sounds to me like a very balanced and pragmatic approach, because effectively what he's saying is, look, you can't expect somebody who knows nothing about this and has no affinity for it to suddenly feel inspired of their own accord to participate. It just doesn't make any sense. Whereas... If we can find a way to usher them through the door, which may include offering payment, then the opportunity is wide open and don't squander the opportunity. Use it really well. Okay, I hear that. And to me, that would resonate with the principle of when a child is young, you tell the child, if you do your homework, you're going to be able to X and Y. And if you get a good grade on your test, then I'm going to give you a prize and so on and so forth. You don't anticipate that your child is going to remain that way for the rest of their lives. So as a spiritual child, which many of us are, well, then sometimes that's just how you got to do it, surely. That's what you, that's what you gotta do. You gotta be able to, to offer something that speaks the language of the people. And I hear that completely, but that brings me to the next tweet, which is from a fellow called Zanvil who says, the more events with free food, and then he puts in, in brackets, and booze, <laughs> the better. <laughs> so I, I think there's a difference here. If I happen to host, let's say for argument's sake, I happen to host a shiur on whatever topic it happens to be. And at that shiur, there also is an incredible menu or you're going to get the opportunity to rub shoulders with some people who either you value or you look up to or have, I don't know, that could be that they have social value in your life or potentially you believe that they might have business value in your life, whatever it is. So if I have something in the context of the share that makes it attractive, I don't think there's anybody in the world who would say that there's something wrong with that because all you're doing is creating a value-added experience. So your objective is to get people to learn Torah. We know that that's not necessarily high up on the priority of this particular group of people, but we do know that what they would enjoy is the social context or the great food. So let's use that and 
pair it with the teachings, and that will get them through the door. I think that's different to saying, come along, and then at the end of the month, there'll be a deposit in your account. I don't know. Who says? Who says? Again, I'm not saying, I'm not saying yay or nay at this point. Just saying who says. Leia says, it is common practice in my home country. I have three friends who became more observant because of this. In the words of one of them, I started going to classes because of the money. Then I started going because it's the truth. Okay? So that tells you that seems to be a case in point that indicates the success of this particular method. Now, what I'm noticing, by the way, not not that I know everybody who has commented so far, but I do know some of the people. What does seem to be a trend is that people who are more observant, tend so far in the responses that are coming through to be more in favor of the prince of, of this process, more in favor of baiting people with money, etc. And people who are typically I'm saying from the ones I know who are not observant seem to be the people who find it to be a bad idea. So that's really interesting. Because that seems that there's a big breakdown between the target audience and those trying to market to that target audience, right? Because that's what, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like a whole lot of observant people are saying, great idea, we should do this, and I know it works, and, and here's case study one and two. And people who are theoretically the target market, I meaning to say people who are not necessarily engaged with their Judaism, are saying, mm, I don't think that's right, cheapens the experience, doesn't necessarily talk to me. Very interesting. Like uh, the, the one comment earlier, like you can't pay people to come make the minion. I actually think there's nothing wrong with paying people to come to the minion if, let's say, for argument's sake, there's somebody who needs money. So you're finding a way to get money to them. And let's distinguish between disguising charity in a process where a person feels they're being paid for something and actually trying to pay people to, go, to, to, to get through the door and to participate and to be part of something. Okay? So there is, there is clearly that distinction to be made. Uh, what else? Michael says, it depends on the person, the recipient, and how they see money. To a student, career starter, unemployed, or retired person, the money will be enticing. To a business person, a coffee, drinks, evening, gift of a book may be more valuable. Okay, so you're, you're talking pragmatically, I suppose, what would actually get people through the door, as opposed to what we're discussing over here, which is what is the... Is it an ideal? That's effectively what we're discussing. Is this an ideal? Is it something that we should be working towards? Okay, good. Very, very interesting points coming through. Uh, Moira says, my knee-jerk answer would be that you cannot buy meaningful commitment. It has to come from within. Okay? So, again, I think people speak very often from their own experience, from their own position, which, which is, I suppose, the only way that we can speak. We can't really talk from somebody else's experience. And if your experience is such that you feel that it's meaningful if it comes from within, then you might feel offended by the prospect of somebody buying people or the people's participation. Whereas if there's somebody who says, listen, I'm a pragmatist and I understand that this is not necessarily something that talks to me, so you're going to have to make her talk to me, then perhaps they'll be more open. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, okay, whatever. Here's Mark. Mark says, with a caveat, oh no, this is something else, sorry, that's uh, responding to something else completely, and that I happened to post on Twitter earlier today, so let's leave that. Here's somebody who says, there are plenty irreligious Jews who study Torah, 
In Israel, there's even a yeshiva chilonit, secular yeshiva, a few of them actually. Okay, that's interesting. I've never heard of that concept before. I'm not sure how it relates directly to my question. And other than the fact, I suppose, to say that there are irreligious people who study Torah and, and perhaps saying they didn't have to be paid to do so. Maybe maybe that's the point of, of that particular message. I don't know. I'm not sure. Perhaps you could clarify. It's an interesting conversation. Definitely raises all kinds of things. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I'll come back to that in just a moment. You can always share 34519 via SMS. You can send messages on Telegram, 0618951019, and you can even send me a WhatsApp if somebody's just done. I'll share that with you in a moment. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Yo, very interesting messages coming through. Somebody on WhatsApp has just sent a message to me, actually on my WhatsApp. I guess that's how you know it's community radio. It says, what about the partnership between Yisachar and Zavulun? So for those people not familiar with what that is, out of the ten sons of Yaakov, of Jacob, who later went on to become the ten tribes, two of the brothers, Yisachar and Zavulun, had a unique partnership where Yisachar were the Torah scholars and Zavulun were the merchants. And the deal was Zavulun would take care of the financial needs of Yisachar and Yisachar would study Torah on their behalf. Now, I think that is quite different to what we're discussing here because the Yisachar group were people who were already dedicated to studying Torah. It's not that they had to be enticed through the money to go and learn. They were learning. It's because they were learning that the Zavulun people said, well, we want to be part of that. We want to participate and we want to be able to have a share in your learning. So I don't think it's necessarily the same principle as what we're discussing over here. The other part of this WhatsApp says there is a principle called mitoich sheloi lishma ba lishma, which means that if a person initially does something with intentions that are not necessarily the most pious or pure of intentions, it's okay. It will eventually rub off on them and they'll end up doing it for the right reasons. So, oh, look at that. Somebody said the same thing right now. Somebody's just said the exact same thing. That by doing something which is not with the right intentions, will eventually land up doing it for purer intentions. Okay, fine, fair enough. I don't know that that's necessarily an answer to this question because this question is not questioning the intentions of the participant. It's questioning the intentions of the people who want to rope them in. Now, the reason I think this is fascinating, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised nobody mentioned it yes, yet, is that in today's, or in today, in this week's Torah portion, we speak about our forefather Abraham and how he was an incredible person who spread the name of God throughout the entire world, created absolute awareness of Hashem. And, it, and it's, it really sounds fantastic until you look at what the sages say about it. And they tell us, well, actually what he did, what Abraham did is he opened a hotel in the middle of the desert and he offered elaborate meals. And anybody who came past and ate in his restaurant, which is part of his hotel, his inn in the desert, was eventually told at the end of the meal, okay, listen, so, yeah, obviously you can imagine people would thank him because it was an incredible experience. And he'd say to them, don't thank me, thank God. That's what you should be doing. You should be thanking God. And then most of these people were pagans. And they're like, what, God, who, what, where? What are you talking about? We have many gods. What do we thank God? And he'd give them a formula to say, you know, blessed is God, creator of the world, provider of the food. And many of these people said to him, listen, you're nuts. Uh, we don't subscribe to this at all and leave us alone. And if that happened, then Abraham would hit them with a bill 
an exorbitant bill and it was either pay up or pray up. <laughs> and apparently it was successful. Apparently not, not only that people said, look, we'll say whatever you say so we don't have to pay the bill. Apparently it actually made a difference. It actually started to impact people in a meaningful way. And the question is, what's that supposed to teach us? Like, is that now a precedent? Is this how a Jewish person is supposed to think and behave? Quote Abraham as our source and say, well, he, he didn't pay people. He actually might have done one, one beyond that. He saved people a huge amount of cost if they were willing. It's almost like the person who says, do X and I'll give you whatever. And then after to say, yeah, but you've got to read the fine print. That's what it sounds like. Like Abraham presented the fine print after they had eaten and after they had seen the bill. Then he says, oh, by the way, you know, here's the fine print. Either you pay up or you say my little prayer. So the, the reason I raise that is because is, is that, is that honest? And, and it's a similar question. Is it honest to tell people that we'll pay you to, is it honest or, or, or is, does, does it kind of miss the point? I know it's not identical. But does it kind of miss the point? And there's somebody here, I think it was Jonathan, here we go, who says he thinks it sounds desperate if you're paying people and it might even be offensive. Because shouldn't religion, or anything for that matter, rely on its own merit and appeal? Doesn't it cheapen it when you start trying to buy somebody? And he says, it would probably, he says, it would probably make me feel even more irreligious. Okay, fine. And then Jenny asks a practical question. Has anybody done any research on whether people continue to study after they've participated in a program that paid them to study? So when the money runs out, do they continue studying? Okay, interesting. Very interesting point. Very practical point. So it may boil down to two things. The one thing is how much faith do you have in your product? So if you feel, you know, it reminds me of the spies when, when Hashem wanted, what well, I should say, when the Jewish people wanted to send spies to the land of Israel because they were uncomfortable and they wanted to be sure that it was going to be safe and everything was going to work out well. So what happens is, according to Rashi and other commentators, is Moses essentially calls their bluff. He says, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I have nothing to hide. My product is absolutely worthwhile. And I know that the land is brilliant. So if you want to send people to check it out, be my guest. Go ahead and do it. And unfortunately, they they didn't accept that. They didn't accept his confidence. But it does tell you something, surely, that the one question is, what does it say about the value of your product if you feel that you have to pay people to use your product? What does that tell us? And the other side of it is, what does it tell us about how you feel about people? And so what I'm asking in other words, the one side of the question is, is my product something that can stand on its own two feet? Is Torah something that can stand on its own two feet? Or does it need the crutch of the offer of reimbursement? The other question is, what do I think of people? Are, are people so fickle? Are people so superficial? Is it only if I pay a person that they'll have an affinity to something which is meaningful. Do I, do I not believe that there's more to the person than that? And a number of people have alluded to this by saying that they're kind of offended by it or they would feel that it cheapens the experience. I think what they really are saying is they would feel that they are cheapened. Do you, do you not think that I'm a person who has any sense of spiritual value or any sense of spiritual connection that you have to do this? 
interesting. Definitely interesting. So I think when you go back to Abraham in the desert, he's dealing with a an audience that is totally disconnected from anything spiritual. They were primitive people. They were bowing down to rocks and trees and who knows what. And to try and, and, and invite them into an experience of spiritual meaning was totally above their pay grade. There was nobody home, nothing to discuss. We don't live in that kind of a world today. And it's important for us to acknowledge that, that we live in a world where there is an openness to spirituality. And that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody is religious or will ever be religious. But there's an openness to spirituality. There's a sense of the value of things that are meaningful and things that are related to the soul or to your relationship with God. And before we rush off to write people off and say there is no other way but to pay them, perhaps we need to give people a little bit more credit. Perhaps we have to be saying, I actually think your neshama is quite alive. It may not be talking the same language I talk, but I think it's quite alive. And maybe I should be appealing to your neshama rather than appealing to your bank account if I want to have a meaningful conversation, have a meaningful interaction and a lasting. That was, uh, who said it before was Jenny says, what's the research on the longevity, the sustainability of people who are paid to learn versus what Gary said before people who volunteer to do so. Interesting. Love to hear your points. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So much to discuss and, uh, and so little time, right? That's why the individual who said, I hope there's going to be a yes or no answer may be a little disappointed because at the end of the day, I don't know if it's that clear. But what I do think is important is it's too easy sometimes to say, let's just create a system where we know people are going to participate because we know that there's always a segment of the community who would love to earn an extra buck and they're going to come through the door and we're going to look like a success story. And there might even be a conversion rate of some of those people from the particular program they sign up for to a more long-term meaningful spiritual development and growth. So there's definitely scope and room for this kind of an approach. It's not going to speak to everybody and it might be very offensive to some as we've already seen from some of the responses. I think what's much more important than the yes or no answer is a perspective. What is our perspective? My, my view on this, we should feel confident, so confident in the product of Torah and of Judaism that we shouldn't feel we have to pay people to participate, personal feeling. And at the same time, we should believe in people. I think we send a subtle message to people when we say, I've got to pay you to do what's right. Subtle message effectively says, you would never resonate with this anyway. So that's why we've got to use some kind of an extraneous methodology. And you know how powerful it is to share with people that you are far deeper than you make out. You are far wiser than you make out. You are far more aligned with our traditional uh, ageless spiritual principles than you make out. I think people would be very touched and very moved by by knowing that about themselves 
and it's a much more honest perspective of people. It's not an honest perspective to say people are fundamentally self-serving because that's really the subtle message here. You need something that's going to satisfy you. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to give you something that's going to satisfy you. Don't know. Don't know. Uh, John says that it's a nice point. He says, learning Torah is payment in itself. And that really should be our message. This is something of absolute value. It doesn't need a, a sidebar value added to it in order to give it value. It is valuable. It, it, it stands on its own two feet. It, it doesn't need us to endorse it or to, to augment it with some kind of external payment. So I think those are the two take-homes for me at least. We need to have a perspective on our spirituality and particularly on our Judaism that says it's good, it's strong, it can stand on its own two feet and we can sell it for what it is. And the second thing is we really need to believe in the greatness of people and their spiritual opportunities and, and, and potential and not sell those people short. And you know, you know the amazing thing? When somebody feels that you really believe in them, wow, what what emerges and what they're capable of is absolutely amazing. Okay, food for thought. I'm sure it's a debate that will continue long beyond today's show and between many, many different groups and many different people. But I've absolutely loved this interaction and your feedback. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And until next time, stay safe and stay sane.